Hi, I'm Rory Bathgate. And I'm Jane McCallion. And you're listening to the IT Pro Podcast, where today we're discussing computer literacy. In 2023, you might expect people to be entering the workforce with a basic understanding of computer skills. In the wake of the pandemic and the rise of remote working, it's especially important that people know how to use devices effectively and safely in order to get on in the workplace. But this isn't always the case. Lloyds Bank's 2023 Essential Digital Skills for Work report noted that 22% of the UK's labour force lacks the digital skills necessary for the workplace, and 40% of workers struggle to effectively use the tools necessary to solve work-related problems. Today, we're speaking to Mark Evans, Interim Information Technology Director at Tillia Homes, to discuss how businesses are faring with the lack of digital skills in the workforce and what can be done to improve the levels of computer literacy in the UK. Mark, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So how significant is this lack of computer skills at the moment? And is it harming businesses? We are at the confluence of a number of different problems and different challenges. Um, The lack of literacy in computing, which means that there's a problem with productivity, um, people just don't have the skills to do the work, the work that's required. And then when you compound that with the technological knowledge that someone would need to have to spot things like uh, cybersecurity issues, we are really fundamentally holding um, the ship under the waterline. Uh, and I can't see how the situation is actually getting any better. You really do have me on the hobby horse now. Um, <laughs> we we're seeing a situation where the at the more and probably my kind of end of the employment scale the elderly people where they've got away with a lack of computer skills for so long there's no reason for them to learn but then at the other end where we have students coming from school college university their main use of technology is things like uh, smartphones and tablets and it's a completely different paradigm It's a completely different way of operating. And having the ability to uh, run your life using WhatsApp and any other social media tool doesn't map very well to using corporate devices to uh, facilitate the work that the business requires. So we've got this weird kind of, let's say, a confluence of different challenges. Mm. And there doesn't seem to be a tremendous amount of leadership around to um, give a direction for improving it. Uh, you and I, this isn't the first um, time that you and I, Mark, have spoken about this. Um, back before Christmas, you, yeah. at that point you were talking about um, you know, that it's still seen as it's okay to kind of not get computers. Um, is that really still a problem? Because that's such a, a long-standing kind of, ha-ha, don't mind me, I'm not one of the geeks type attitude that I can barely believe it still exists. Um. I have a colleague, someone I know and trust and respect, who had to um, work in a previous life with a CEO who had been appointed to the role and had to be taught how to send an email. And this is someone uh, in their, shall we say, the twilight of their career. Um, They're in the ultimate position within that business. And they didn't know how to use a mouse. Um, They knew how to use a keyboard because it was 
you know, analogous to a typewriter. Yeah. But the actual function of opening an email client, creating an email, typing it and sending it away was beyond them. And that was that was within the last two years. Within the last two years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So it's not as rare as people think. And we do tend to almost forgive that kind of behavior because it like like you said in the intro it's a case of oh well i've never got computing i've never had to use a computer i can't even play the xbox or whatever playstation i suppose (laughs) and it's almost seen like as a sort of uh, a distance from the nerds which is such an old Mm. mindset now you know oh i'm not a nerd i I don't do that i you know i sit here with my uh, block of my tablet of stone and a chisel uh, for taking notes in meetings, you know, it just—it's such an old, med- not even medieval. It's prehistoric approach to uh, to working in the business, and it is so sort of, um, tacitly allowed. Nobody said to that CEO, "Well, you're functionally incompetent in this particular element of the job, which is a fundamental part of your role, the communication." So, sayonara, see you tomorrow. Off you go. It was just accepted. And as far as I know, that person's still working there. Whether they can send email or not is a different matter. Um, But, yeah, it's just accepted. And and that's right throughout employment uh, in UK PLC. Is it something that's going to solve itself through natural attrition, though? You know, eventually the people who are, um, as you say, in the twilight of their careers, who are maybe in the um, the older portion of the baby boomer generation, who are the ones who you know, kind of have had less contact with technology throughout their lives. Um, are they? Are we just going to age out of this problem, or am I being too hopeful? I think you're being too hopeful. Uh, as I mentioned before. <laughs> We've got a different problem. I don't think it's getting any better. I think the the different problem is that we've got people who are accustomed to a different kind of interface and different kind of computing because they're coming in. They may be adept with their mobile phone and with their tablet, but that doesn't map to sitting at a keyboard or sitting with a touchscreen device, um, engaging with the toolkit that you know most companies will have it'll either be you know google workspace or it'll be microsoft office and that doesn't track very well to the experience on the mobile phone and the, the tablet and i can't see that actually getting any better because the interface for a tablet or a mobile phone isn't optimal for the sort of work that we need to do in the workplace we can dumb down an interface so if you look at word on a mobile phone it's a stripped-down version of the, the full-fledged application that you'd run on your uh, PC or your Mac. And it's always going to be a compromise. Now, some people will say, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll accept the compromise as long as we can get people working. But this is going to sound like old father time talking about during the war. But <laughs> my, my father um, worked in a factory. He was a unskilled labourer in a factory. And he said to me, when I got into uh, computing, he said, the difference between your job and mine is that in your job, if someone presses the wrong button, you lose a file, you lose a document, you lose a spreadsheet. In my job, if somebody presses the wrong button, you lose a finger, you lose a hand. 
And there's no jeopardy in working with computing, thankfully, because otherwise I'd be absolutely scared witless going to work. But when there's no skin in the game, metaphorically rather than literally, is there any impetus to actually learn? You know, people people will sit in a role, they'll do the job, um, they'll put in place all sorts of coping strategies. We've all heard the joke about the untrained typist who's got tipex all over her screen because of the mistakes that she's made when she's typing. Um, we'll have people who sort of survive for a time. Their productivity will be accepted as a norm. And then they'll move on somewhere else and take that with them. We will just replace them with somebody else who potentially doesn't have that skill set because it's not being fed into um, people coming into the workforce. So it, it seems mm-hmm. to be, it's not even, well, it's a vicious circle. It's not a virtuous circle. What you're saying about the having metaphorical skin in the game, um, I've heard it suggested before that younger people sometimes are more confident using computers. They're more confident using phones, not because there's necessarily an improved skill set there, but because the guardrails have been in place for their whole life, where if you do something wrong, the system will not go horrendously wrong. You, you can't accidentally overwrite your entire computer like you could back when you had to uh, type things out in long form code. <laughs> you yeah. know, there's, there's less chance of destroying everything. But in a workplace, obviously, the risks are greater. There, there are uh, massive business losses. You could accidentally uh, violate data protection laws. You could accidentally yeah. cause a, a, a data breach. Do you think that, that this is in play here as well, that there's a, maybe a lack of understanding of the, the stakes and a lack of understanding of the seriousness of, of this knowledge? I do, and I don't want this to sound like a diatribe against young people. The energy, the vitality, the new thought processes that are brought in with every generation um, of new employee we would struggle without and the world would be a darker, worse place for it. But yeah, there is that sort of requirement for a rapid transition from, you know, the joys of school or college or university life where we can be a little carefree. And I've been there myself many years ago, admittedly, but I was there myself. Um, I think part of the induction for any business is um, predicated on protecting the business. And it's not contextualized very well. And so Mm. I take your point about the guardrails being on the system. So, you know, you can't accidentally delete the internet. But the dots aren't being joined when you talk about things like data protection, where no one's told about don't CC everyone, don't BCC everyone accidentally, be careful where you send emails. And whilst that's not really proficiency with software, it all falls under the same kind of banner about being proficient in the work environment in the, in the technical and digital age. So, yeah, I think I think it's a really good point, Rory. When we speak then about you, know, kind of all the pushes that there are to get kids engaged with STEM and, you know, well, in theory, STEM means right. science, mathematics, technology, engineering. It means IT. Uh, <laughs> so everyone's actually <laughs> saying it. They're saying yeah. computers. Uh, <laughs> are we looking at this kind of the wrong way in some ways you know, not everybody's going to be a programmer uh not everybody's going to go into a job with it you know not everybody's going to be a data scientist whatever but everybody is probably going to have to work with a computer should we be putting this kind of like actual 
basic how to use it and not do anything really stupid uh, <laughs> as part of our training as well. In the same vein of, you know, it doesn't matter what you're perhaps going to show my age now here, but, you know, when you're learning to write, you're learning to write for lots of reasons. Um, yeah. And you might end up, you know, solving P versus NP make myself sound smart to our STEM listeners here. You might end up solving P versus NP. You might end up writing the next um, great American novel with your pencil, but you, the, it's the technicality of doing it. It's how you do it properly is what is being taught. And then you build on that foundation. Do we need that same kind of foundational thing for, for IT so that you can use this tool to do whatever you want to do with it safely and so that other people can st understand it the problem with um that approach is not really a problem with the actual development of that kind of training it's the attitude that goes with it so you know the, there's a general response of oh well everyone knows how to use a computer and patently they don't no one thinks twice about um not giving the keys to an hgv uh, vehicle to someone unless they've gone through an advanced test for for the driving now i'm not trying to espouse the notion that everyone should go through some sort of i don't even know if it's a thing these days there used to be the computer driving license um years and years and years <laughs> ago yeah. um i think that might be overkill i think it's more systemic than that i think it's more we are in a very sort of transactional educational, envi edu educational environment where mm. if you want to do anything sort of artistic, it's often frowned, frowned upon. Um, we've all heard the jokes about people who've done a degree in media studies and they make a wonderful cup of coffee, which I think is unfair. But it should really be addressed at um, the source in terms of education. Computing is at all but it's so ubiquitous now that we're sending people out into the workplace who can yeah quote iambic pentameter but probably couldn't get that down into a word document potentially they wouldn't have the skills to do that um they could probably tweet it with their phone i think it's um mm. it's something that has been the poor relation in terms of education um Everyone's keen on the sort of, um, to use a really old terminology, the white heat of technology, but doesn't want to engage with the actual mundane uh, learning and the discipline to at least be able to handle a computer without destroying value somewhere. It's, it's People are left to their own devices. Now, if we applied that back into the real world with things like heavy goods vehicles, then the roads would be something like something out of Mad Max. You know, there'd be so many accidents and disasters everywhere. And we won't countenance that. You know, you must have this license. But we're prepared to let someone leave school, college, university, go and work in a business. They're given access to a device, which means they can contact pretty much anyone on the planet. And they copy all the friends in, and then all of a sudden you've got a GDPR data breach, and it's a case then of oh well, who'd have thought that? There's this huge disconnect, and I think I really do feel 
a great degree of empathy for people who are coming into the workplace because computing is unavoidable and they're not being prepared for it. The old fossils like myself, it's a different kind of support network that's been put in place. You know, oh, Johnny over there, he doesn't know how to use a computer. God bless him. Well, why has he got the job? So I think there's a different kind of, at both ends, there's this lack of familiarity or capability or competence with computing, but I think it's from two different um, two different routes. And I'm not entirely sure how we could square that particular circle. Education definitely plays a part. But I think that sort of tacit um, compliance with incompetence needs to be exposed and have people hmm. talking more seriously and maturely about the requirements of someone who's going into the modern workplace in order to, co- in order to contribute and add value. So when we're talking about this uh, lack of familiarity with, with, with computers, but maybe a, a familiarity with phones, um, something that is worth maybe looking at is the digital divide. Um, this is something that we've discussed on the podcast a bit before, but do you think it's something that needs to be addressed in tandem with computer uh, illiteracy? To put it in perspective, um, Ofcom in 2022 released a review that stated that 6% of households don't have access to the internet at home. So this, I guess, could be hampering people's access to devices. Absolutely. Um, I mean, my inclination is that um, access to the internet should be a utility in the same way that gas, electricity and water is. You know, it, it it's one of those things, and this is not party political at all, but it's one of those things that part, politicians of any shade will, will sort of throw in the air and say, you know, um, well, there are certain people who don't um, deserve this kind of access. They don't earn enough money. They don't live in the right location. Um, they're the uh, almost the dispossessed of society to a certain extent, in terms, in digital terms at the very least. We should really ramp up the provision of internet uh, services to every domestic residence on the planet, but at least in the UK, we can't solve the world's problems from uh, my place in West Bromwich. But um, yeah, we should really be looking at um, giving everyone an opportunity to, to step into the realm of the internet. If we've got children and people growing up in a household that don't have access to the internet. We'll have living people who've missed an opportunity to learn, to develop, to put forward skills that perhaps you and I don't have. They just have a different way of approaching things. You know, they, they've got a different insight. They may be an absolute genius that's not being given an opportunity to be nurtured in that environment because they haven't had that provision. I think, I think mm. internet uh, access and even rudimentary technology to enable um, such households to engage with the wider digital community should be a three-line whip on any politician's um, policy framework. Absolutely should. Because those are the people who eventually may manage to sort of scramble through school and get qualifications to go and work in an environment where they could potentially have a good career. And they are starting on the back foot because they don't have that early exposure to 
computing in its in its broadest sense or even the narrow sense that they may need to go into when they get into the workplace. So yeah, the digital divide. We should be we should be driving as a nation, we should be driving to make sure that something as powerful, as ubiquitous, as elevating as access to the sum of human knowledge on the internet is available across the board. Absolutely. Trying not to kind of like immediately bring it around to my own hobby horse, which at this particular occasion would probably be the importance of rural broadband and connectivity. Oh, <laughs> don't get me started on that either. Crikey. Yeah. My, my house is in a, a, a hamlet. It's not even a village. Mm. Yeah. We, we need to get more people into the into the local into the locale to be called a village, and my broadband from good old BT is running to about five hundred and twelve k. And while that you know back in the day that was something to aspire to, I mean now I can't work from home with it. You know it's it's incredible. Yeah. And the bizarre thing is, uh, I'm at my partner's place, as I mentioned, in West Bromwich mm. at the moment. We can only get 17 meg. I mean, it is West Bromwich. They've only just got electricity, so what do you expect? Um, I can get 17 meg on the landline. But if I go and sit in the local park and feed the squirrels, which I do, which is you know not going out on the podcast, I can get uh, 250 meg. On my mobile phone, mm. it's incredible. But yeah, don't get me started on uh, yeah rural. No, 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 uh, no, no. don't get me started. Otherwise, oh, also, we'll, this will be a double episode, and, and our <laughs> listeners will have to listen to me banging on about rural broadband again. Yeah, that's very true. And you know, kind of the idea of the internet as a um, a utility in the same way that you know water electricity gas are or you know a right in the same way that you know food and shelter are it's, it's one that's been bubbling around who is responsible for for this then for for making sure that this connectivity is there and and for making sure that this education that these skills are provided um you know is it the government is it connectivity providers is it um yeah, businesses. What's where does the responsibility uh, lie? I believe it lies four square with the government. Um, they have the opportunity to enforce an economy of scale. Um, they are the ones that will hold the licenses for operators, so they can withhold licenses if there's no movement in terms of deployment of broadband. Fortunately, we're not in the situation that the US is in, where uh, the Network providers were given billions of dollars and that just went into buying back their shares and uh, didn't actually add anything to their internet um, in the USA. We could coalesce everyone around a a direction from from the government and use their economy scale, their power, their legislative um, might, for want of a better term, to say that UK will be digitally connected it will be connected to a standard that will promote um, use of the internet in any form, pretty much. I mean, gigabit to every home is something that we should at least aim for. Multi-gigabit if we can uh, get the technology to work for us. And it's not 
an exercise in socialism or bland altruism when we consider that there was a I can't remember where I saw this now but there was a figure about the amount of revenue that's generated from one megabyte per second uh, increase in broadband speed uh, someone someone put a, a figure to it and it was it was an incredible amount of money that, that's generated purely by increasing network speed on on the internet in terms of business opportunity that can be realized and um, creativity that can be captured we we could do this regardless of whether you're you know conservative labor lib dem any of the political parties we could do this purely on cold hard terms we could do this purely on cold hard terms about the the cash about the income that it would generate mm-hmm. as a population we could capture the the creativity of people we could allow people to work from wherever they need to work this conversation this interminable conversation about working from a home working from the office it gives people flexibility it gives business flexibility um it gives uk plc i keep using that term um but it gives uk plc an empowered workforce that can give of their best if we tied that if we tied uh ubiquitous high-speed broadband to a drive to equip people with the capability to make the best within their own um, capabilities but their own uh, potential of the computing resource around and that could be a tablet that could be a mobile phone that could be a windows machine an apple mac whatever whatever suits their capabilities best we would see a return on that it wouldn't it wouldn't be a case of a huge investment that would go nowhere. It would be something that we could actually capture a return on, both in terms of profitability to private business, but also in terms of um, the creation of new business, new products. And it's easy to say, I know money's got to be found from somewhere. But sometimes, you know, you have to go out and try these things. And when it's backed up by research that shows that provision of broadband engages people it brings together like-minded communities for better or worse it's got to be a laudable intention and money should be able to be found from somewhere so we've talked a bit about the role that the government can play here we've talked about how uh, there should be a, a goal that is reached when it comes to to companies to the private sector what role can can, can a business play in this is that internal training is there some kind of funding drive that could happen there i mean i know that altnets this is something that they're focused on right now if we're talking about network operators but businesses in general approaching this perceived lack of skills what what can they do well i have a certain amount of sympathy with businesses because if we had one business which grasped the nettle and sought to raise the capability of their staff they would make a lot of investment. They would use a lot of um, time and resource, probably only to see that newly equipped expert walk off and w- uh, work somewhere else for more money. So it's a bit of a hiding to nothing for them. I think that we've got to be very careful that we don't create a sort of um, modern Victorian approach with workhouses for people who aren't capable of 
existing within the digital environment of our modern business. But similarly, I think somewhere there needs to be some thought about um, raising the game across the board. Yes, um, private enterprise will have a part to play in that. But they're not the only ones that can do this. There will need to be input from uh, local and national government. Um, there's also the cultural element and culture. Our old friend Peter Drucker said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And if we have a culture where it's acceptable to attend work and not have a clue about how to use the equipment and we're supporting that culture, We've got to break that culture down. The mechanism of training someone is one thing, but we need to move away from this sort of half-hearted or light-hearted uh, approach of uh, Johnny over there. He's never used, never learned how to use a computer. Oh, salt of the earth. May very well be mm. salt of the earth, but he's a walking liability. You know, he's a drain on resource because he doesn't know how to use the equipment. Somebody's bought him a laptop. Somebody's bought him a desktop. It's a waste of money. It's neither use nor ornament. So I think that yeah, to go back to go back to your point, Rory, um, private enterprise does have a part to play, but to to load the expectation of competence purely on an organisation which has a bottom line to consider, and allowing that suboptimal behaviour to uh, exist within the public sector. It's got to be. It's got to be a, a process where uh, both the public and the private sector can work together to try to raise raise a discourse somehow. If you're asking for a plan, I've not really thought that one through. Uh, there are far more intelligent uh, educators out there who could probably put together something cohesive. But I don't think we we can load it all on one one sector. It's got and. I've just realised I've probably stamped all over the third sector. They have a part to play as well. I mean, it's not that long. It strikes me that it's it's not really been that long since I was putting on my CV, you know, that I could use Microsoft Office um, and you know, even sometimes, you know, kind of my words per minute when it comes to typing. That's all a bit old fashioned now because it's assumed that you, you know, kind of know how to use a computer and so on. Uh, but as we've been discussing, uh, that's perhaps not necessarily the case. Are we maybe going to find ourselves in a situation where that kind of thing is once again looked on favourably on a CV? Somebody who is actually able to say, not, you know, I can send an email because, you know, once again, that would be a bit kind of like saying, I know how to hold a pen. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> that kind of... I don't just know how to turn it on. I don't just know how to use my smartphone. Like you're kind of, I know I'm, I'm not an idiot. I'm not a liability to your business and I'm an asset. I think there are so many social and cultural elements around that now. No one wants to profess to be incompetent. It seems um, everyone, we're possibly the worst nation on the planet for this because we're not very boastful. You know, I can mm. type, you know, however many words per minute. My, I mean, mine's probably words per hour, if I'm being brutally honest. Um, and still have typos. Um, and I think there's also that thing where, I suppose, employment myopia, where p 
people sort of presume that you know, don't ask, don't mm. tell kind of thing. So putting that down would almost be, you know, I haven't been caught shoplifting. I've never been uh, stopped for speeding. Yeah, on a CV, sort of me thinks the lady does protest too much. I don't know. Um, I mean, it would be useful. It would be a metric that you could use to sort of test someone's competence because on third interview, say, okay, uh, here's a script. need you to transcribe that into Word. You said you're doing, I don't even know a good score for words, but 50 words per minute, is that reasonable or is that slow? Um, is that slow? Oh, okay. <laughs> I think okay. that's slow. I don't know. It's been a while since I did a a, a, a test, so maybe we're all telling on ourselves in this podcast. <laughs> Crikey. But if, if somebody was to say on their CV, you know, I can do 200 words per minute or whatever the, the reasonable score mm-hmm. is, then, yeah. yeah, that could form a basic. You know, here's, here's a piece of paper, transcribe this into Word and we'll time you. But I think we're at the point now where there's such a presumption that people will know about computing that they wouldn't even recognize that and unfortunately the sort of gatekeepers for um computing in business is usually the hr department with the best will in the world they've got enough challenges as it is without being sort of experts in computers and being able to have that conversation to ascertain whether the new potential hire knows which end of the plug to stick into uh, the wall socket um it's possible. I just think that it's so culturally loaded about, as I say, humility in, in uh, the UK and the perception that, well, you would know that, wouldn't you? I'm not sure how much value yeah. that would potentially be. I've also Googled it and their uh, <laughs> average typing speed is 40 words a minute. If you want to be productive or good typist, it should be sixty-five to seventy words a minute. So, uh, oh, so shows what I know about words per minute. Two hundred <laughs> words a minute. You would be in the top one percent of typists in the world, apparently. Crikey, crikey! So, actually, I was being really, I was being really over the top because if it's if it's fifty words per minute, I I I couldn't approach that genuinely. <laughs> well, Mark, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks, Rory. As always, you can find links to all of the topics we've spoken about today in the show notes and even more on our website, itpro.co.uk. You can also follow us on social media as well as subscribe to our daily newsletter. Don't forget to subscribe to the IT Pro podcast wherever you find podcasts. And if you're enjoying the show, why not tell a friend or colleague about us? We'll be back next week with more from the world of IT. But until then, goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.